Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. I'm Ryan. And this is Track Walking. This evening we have Ryan Finch, who's gone by several names, maybe better known as Tyrek Brad. Um, but he doesn't work at the Tyrek anymore. Brad, how are you? Uh, yeah, yeah, still get called Brad quite often, but nope, no longer work at the Tyrek. <laughs> now. I'm trying to remember the first time I crossed your path was one lap of America things. Um, and I think I probably heard or crossed your path before I even did the one lap of America. Um, but you predate me. So (laughs) you existed before I knew you as it turns out. (laughs) Weird. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Why don't, why don't you just give me like some brief background, um, not necessarily like who your parents are, but how'd you, how'd you get into the whole car thing? Uh, let's see here. How, how far back were you, were you trying to go here? Like from at least to your first motorsports car, autocross car type thing. Did you play okay. with like Hot your, Wheels? Your first car in high school that ruined you or whatever it was. Okay. Uh, well, I would say uh, really motorsports wise, I mean, I'll go real early than back, but uh, motorsports wise started off before um, cars. I was grew up on dirt bikes. Uh, yeah, I got yeah. my first dirt bike really young. I think I was like five years old at a 50cc, 40cc. So I, you know, one of those little tiny ones. So Milan Cycle City used to have a sand and gravel pit, used to race, did that until I was a uh, a little aggressive <laughs> um, for my age and my, my dad didn't think it was a good idea. I probably would step up to a bigger bike because I just did just kept crashing a lot. Let's just say that. Um, and uh, from then uh, we'll jump after high school and the Marines. I uh, got out and started drag racing because that was the thing to do in my local town. And yep. I started getting pretty tired of it after a season or so, because it seemed like uh, I didn't have enough money to go super fast and to me, that was only so exciting to bracket race, even though I was pretty good at it. Um, and then I discovered my first autocross where I took my then daily driver Cobalt SS Turbo out and got hooked on that, which turned into track days. And uh, yeah, more than that. <laughs> um, so what? So you, you said you started on dirt bikes. Was that just kind of convenience? Were there other friends, family members that did that? Yeah. So growing up, um, my, my father, uh, my uncle and his friends all had three wheelers, quads, dirt bikes, etc. cetera. Uh, we actually remember um, those. Yeah. We actually, uh, we had a sand and gravel company growing up. So our backyard had a lot of property to go ride on and they would just take a loader out and make a jump where they wanted, uh, you know, that type of convenience. <laughs> so, nice. um, we don't, we don't have that company anymore, but, uh, you know, growing up, it was really nice in the country and having that, uh, advantage for a while. And then, um, that went away after my parents, you know, divorced and stuff. So I got used to BMX after that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did BMX too. There's, cause there's a whole bunch of 
people our age that came to motorsports through BMX, weirdly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it was more like just dirt jumping and stuff like that and finding anything I could to go ride at, and just ride my bike as much as I could for a while. And then, and then became a uh, couch potato for a little while with video games, you know? <laughs> so why, so did you make the jump from that into drag race? I mean, not a jump. It's not like you went straight from BMXing yeah. and dirt bikes straight into, you know, drag racing. Um, but did you go drag racing? Were your friends, people around you doing that as well? Was that like the only yeah. car outlet? Yeah, so definitely um, also growing up, I saw my dad had done some drag racing in his time um, living in Milan, Michigan. That was definitely kind of a popular drag strip for Michigan. Um, so in high school, people went drag racing as well. My group of friends, other random people. I did like, you know, automotive shop. I was into cars. I'd always, you know, it's progression from motorcycles to cars. Um, funny, I grew up watching a lot of NASCAR with my father, and that's how I really got into cars from the motorcycle side. Dale Sr., rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> praise hell, praise Dale. Um, that's right. And what what was it about um, drag racing? Because that was if that was kind of your first place you started – you you liked it enough to do it for a year what was it mm -hmm. about it that you enjoyed i mean of course there's always competition even in doing a um bracket racing so i wasn't the fastest ever but i got to do reaction based on the tree and of course just that adrenaline rush of you side by side against someone hoping you you cross the line ahead of them even though my initial cars I've drag raced, I was second slower than some of my competitions. So I got to what take were, off way early. What were you <laughs> racing initially? How bad was it? Well, initially, I guess the very first vehicle I ever drag raced was a V6 automatic Camaro. <laughs> so it was not fast. Nice. So pretty bad then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like 17, 16 second quarter mile times. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't anything special, but I, I've racket raced and that's all you need. You need a consistency and good reaction time. So, my, um, uh, my and then my, some of my friends had Mustang GTs and, you know, other cool things like that, where I was like, yeah, can't beat you heads up, but I can bracket race you. <laughs> my, uh, my PT cruiser was faster than your Camaro. It probably was. It was not fast, mm. but you know, uh, it was fast enough to get in trouble. And so, you know, <laughs> I still remember losing, and drag racing in my PT before, like I really did much power wise to a square body Volvo with a fishing rod in it. <laughs> I, yeah. I remember being very surprised. I remember pulling up next to him being like, Hey, I, I can probably actually beat this one car. Nope. Didn't, didn't nope. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the slowest car I've ever drag raced is actually the, after my Camaro, I had a 1970 notchback Mustang. Ooh. And it was a basket case. Um, Two fifty straight six, three speed manual on the floor. Twenty second quarter mile. Yeah, that's rough. It's amazing <laughs> how slow cars used to be. Right. Yeah. Um, just like everything is. It seems like everything's fast now. But like we're all close enough in age that I think we all remember when like a car that was running mid thirteens was like quick. That's quick. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a fast car. 
people running 13s in high school used to be like, oh man, your car's fast. Yeah. And now, like, I'm sure there's a factory Camry that runs faster than that. You'd be surprised. I think like the new F-150 Power Boost runs like a mid to low 15. That's absurd. <laughs> They're so it's not heavy even a performance too. truck. <laughs> so heavy. So yeah. so you enjoyed the, the competition. You enjoyed the mm-hmm. kind of reaction time skill and, you know, consistency, yeah. stuff like that. Um, which did you go to next? Did you did you go to autocross or did you go to straight into road course? So the next was autocross. Um, I actually had been to an event while I was in the Marines. They had a touring group that came out to our base and kind of showed us what autocross was. Uh, I got to drive a Chevrolet SSR, which is hilarious to think of as an autocross vehicle. Um, automatic, the, the six-liter. And we got three runs in it. And it was just completely free, you know, got to find a way to have fun, get that adrenaline rush, you know, from the troops, stuff like that. And the first two runs, I tried to be like, learn from the guy in, in the pastor seat, telling me how to drive, be quick and have this autocross works. Run three, I remember the hairpin, like kind of corner that had enough of an exit. I just decided to, you know, kick it down and see how much I could slide it. Um, so... <laughs> So that was my first like, actual experience with autocross before I got really into the like drag racing more with my Mustang out of the Marines. But it took me another year or two before I said, you know what, I'm done with drag racing. I used to get like two to three runs in a night. I would be there for five hours sometimes. People yeah. keep oiling the track down, oiling the track down, whatever. And, you know, my car was just fast enough to have that adrenaline rush still, but not really enough to be super excited anymore about it. Yeah. And um, I decided, you know, I saw an autocross. I remember doing that briefly and I had a car, the Cobalt SS turbo. Um, I thought would be decent at it. So I went out to one at the Toledo airport for the first time and I was pretty hooked after that. Yeah. Yeah. Those were, especially at the time for a front wheel drive car, like those were set up pretty nice. Yeah. It was a lot faster than I thought it was going to be when I first test drove. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. The first time I drove the Neon SRT4, um, my dad had gotten one in at the dealership. And I was home for like a weekend from college, something like that. And he's like, hey, this thing needs to go be run real quick. Would you uh, just take it out real quick, bring it back? And he tosses me the keys. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll do that. He's like, just be sure it's warmed up if uh, before you do anything, you know. I'm like okay so i warm it up really like nice and gentle like and remember at a stoplight like a few few down after it had gotten warmed up i got into it and realized what torque and um and turbo turbo boost feels like and yeah that was good i like that car yeah (laughs) all Uh, all those cars were sort of at the last generation of cars that actually had some lag to them as well so like Turbos were exciting because they, you know, were off boost and on boost. And yeah, I love that. I, I grew up with turbo Dodges, like Shelby. My dad had a Shelby GLHS and that was in the, like the, the heart of the, of the boost lag torque steer era of front wheel drive cars that were genuinely exciting when the boost came on. And um, yeah. yeah, that was good stuff. I love that stuff. There was actually one at Milan that used to be a regular and the license plate simply says ghost 12s. 
and it did <laughs> low twelves. So wow. it was fun to watch. <laughs> I, I think the, we could the, definitely the goes like hell edition. <laughs> I think we could definitely like look into boost lag as like anticipation, <laughs> and that's why they were more fun than like the twin scroll right. ball bearing blah blah blah. Is like it's not the boost we we enjoy; it's the anticipation of the boost yeah. that we really enjoy. <laughs> You're like, please hold, and there's boost. <laughs> yeah. That's when I discovered power or, or as I call it boost on understeer is a my water crossing. Cause I had a bone stock when I went to the first time with my cobalt and those factory Dunlops did not put the power down. Oh, I forgot those came on. Yeah. So 260 horse, 260 torque, even with the optional diff, it just, Oh, I'm going in the corner. Here's boost. And it, the front end's washing out. <laughs> did those actually have the option of coming with a real diff? Yeah, it was an option, uh, but you you could get mechanical diff. I'll be darned. Okay. Yep. Now you said you were in the military. I knew this about. Yep. You. Yep. I, uh, you, uh, I joined the Marines at seventeen before I left high school. Have my parents sign off on me. It's about to say you strangely, and this is no dig. Like you strangely don't seem like a dude who would go into the military. <laughs> why? Why military service? Um, well, my dad was a Navy corpsman, um, so I was born on Camp Lejeune. My brother was born in North Carolina. My brother was born out of South Carolina when my dad was in. Um, I got to hear a lot of stories growing up because being a corpsman, that's the docks for the Marines. So, I don't know, I just, hearing that stuff growing up, I didn't take high school serious enough, so I wasn't going to college. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, I kind of wanted to get away, do my own thing. So good way to do it. Easy decision. <laughs> good, easy way to do it. Yeah. So I, I definitely, uh, I'm very happy I joined. I think it, it helped me a lot in my life. So <laughs> did you get to drive anything cool while you were in? Uh, well, I mean, I got to drive the Oshkosh seven ton, six by six trucks, uh, Humvees, of course, uh, the occasional MRAP before I got out. I actually was a 3521, which is a motor team mechanic. So I got to work on those. Okay. They, they look fun. I mean, I see them sitting on lots and I'm like, but I could just like drive over stuff with these. They're all really slow, but you can do some fun things with them. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. So after you got out, um, at that point, was that when you started doing more of the autocross? Like you said, you while you were in service, you kind of got uh, introduced to autocross. But what, what happened after you got out of the service? Yeah, so I got introduced to it while I was in the service, but I didn't really pick it up when I first got back. I actually went into drag racing more. I took my then Mustang GT, which I bought while I was 18 straight out boot camp. Like every 18 year old Marine who can't afford a Mustang, he buys it anyways. Um, <laughs> stereotype right there. Um, I didn't buy a crack rocket though, so I, I missed one uh, stereotype. Well, good on <laughs> Otherwise, a level. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to drag racing where I took the car and I decided to do the, you know, Bigs and Littles, more ready for bracket racing. It was strictly a drag car for a hot minute. Um, I did that for a little while. Even had a supercharger kit. I was, you know, getting ready to do that. And then um, I was actually a truck driver at that time by trade. And for our family trucking company, did asphalt around Detroit. 
uh, stuff like that. But I decided I didn't want to do that long term, and I went back to I went to school. I did use my GI Bill. Figured I was going to go to college, and <laughs> the GI Bill didn't pick up as quick as it's supposed to, so I didn't have money for a while, and I had to sell off parts from the car and stuff like that to make it work for a while. And drag racing kind of ended for the most part with that. Yeah. So then, yeah, I got the Cobalt. I started autocrossing after about a year or two of drag racing. And then after about two to three events in the Cobalt, my first season, I decided I want to do this more, a lot more. But I want a real drive car. So I, my Mustang got transitioned from <laughs> Lakewood Drag Shocks 410 gears, bigs and littles to like 265s up front, 285 rears. Bilstein takeoffs, anything I could to make it handle a little better. Nice. Yep. Um, what year Mustang GT? It's an O2 GT. It's the okay. four six single overhead cam made like no power, like two sixty yeah. three hundred flywheel stock. Yeah. Yeah. I, I this is where it's going to make your listeners cry. So <laughs> I made the decision to buy that instead of. A WRX, okay. an O2 SS Camaro at the time, you know, they were discontinued, and an S2000. <laughs> Good call. No, yep. I, I was a dumb, <laughs> young, I like drag racing, V8 sounds, V8. go brr. Yep, you V8. Know. I get yeah. it. I mean, uh, they, so they are regret. awesome. Like, it's the same reason we all love like seat prepared cars, right? I mean, nobody nobody wants to own a CP car necessarily, but we all want to drive one or ride in one or listen to one because they're awesome. Without getting too far ahead of my time period, my favorite CP car, and I've driven this quite a bit of times, is the four cylinder turbo coupe out of Ohio. So, all right. So the noises aren't there, but the experiences. Oh, so much grip, so much power, so light. <laughs> I I literally yeah. have no idea what you guys are talking about with C prepared and all this SCCA oh, yeah. autocross uh, speak. Yeah, yep, yep, you have sorry. no. It's it's life changing. Yeah, to I've, ride ride in a good C prepared car is literally a life changing experience. You will never, you won't look at the world the same again. Just Do like it, I'll just I'll say this, Scott. 13 to 15 inch wide wheels that's what's typical on those cars i, I, could, I might <laughs> and, be able to do the, that on the miata <laughs> and they can't hold the traction under acceleration yeah. like yeah. they're they're just absurd i mean um, they bend light it's it's phenomenal it it sounds it sounds fun it's just the whole scca autocross classing stuff i just there's a lot of acronyms and things and i just we don't need to go down that rabbit hole yeah it's a, it's a it's big one <laughs> but you've been you've been like properly serious about autocross though right i mean we can we can like poo poo the secca but you've put some like some legitimate time yeah yeah, and yeah, King yeah. Among, yeah, you yeah, put yeah. Some, you've put some serious time and effort and energy into becoming really really good at autocross yeah, so it started off as a simple, like, oh, this is fun, it's different, and I think it's now my 11th year doing it. Um, nationally, not quite as long, but yeah, I've put a lot of time and effort into autocross, you're right. It's uh, 
I, I like to go to nationals every year if I can make it. Um, I've probably co-driven in like 60 different plus cars at this point in time and a lot of different classes and, and King of the mountain first year was a big deal. You know, I got to be a big qualifier in that. I'm sure we'll get to that in the autocross stage, but <laughs> yeah, I've put a lot of time and effort into autocross. So where did it become, where did it turn from like that you do autocross every once in a while kind of for fun to your people are throwing you keys to go drive their autocross cars and that gets a little bit more intense and like where where did you actually jump down that rabbit hole um well it took me a few seasons local driving uh before i kind of stepped up i guess um i was started with my cobalt went to my mustang did like the novice thing i won the novice championship for, for the first year and then um we kind of followed up after that the second year we did a sophomore i won that and it was just like okay this is competitive this is fun but I, like overall i'm still getting my butt kicked by a lot of people who are not novices and stuff and i want to be more competitive at this and eventually i learned more about the co-driving thing and uh found a friend that eventually is like yeah i am open to a co-driver and uh it's actually um chris bolt had his sts miata or as we called it the man yada you know two guys driving a miata let's you know uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's perfectly normal yep yeah it is um and after I think three seasons, maybe my four seasons, when I finally decided like, okay, I'm going to put a lot of effort into this. It's not just local fun. It's we'd ran three or four different clubs slash divisions that year and did over 30 weekends of autocross in Michigan, Ohio. <laughs> that's a lot. So it was really almost every free weekend for the season. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And you know, I won three of the four clubs. I got second place. The other one, I was like, okay, I'm getting confident. I'm getting good. Let's step up to a national event. Seventh. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a real quick, uh, you know, I guess uh, feeling like a big fish in a small pond scenario too. Like, oh, got it. There's a whole nother level to this. And that even fueled me more than to really dive in. <laughs> I was about to say, because it sounded like you were kind of winning things, but it was in knowing that you still weren't the best out there that kind of kept you going. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to, I, I like, I like competition. I, I don't like give me wins, even though none of them were, um, it's one of those things that once you start feeling you to a certain point though, you want to go for more, I guess. And the national level, everyone was doing it. I wasn't doing it. I don't. I didn't know what my excuse was at that point. Um, but I was, you know, a little, I was a little intimidated, I guess. But uh, I decided it was time to step up. And then when I found out, you know, how I did my buddy's Miata, and I always still wanted. I still had my Mustang. I still did my own events occasionally in that for fun because I still liked the pony car V8 yada yada type thing. Uh, I really dove in when I bought my own competitive autocross car. I sold my Mustang and bought my 99 Z28 for ESP. And that was the ultimate, I guess, super dive in with both feet, head first, wherever you want to call it. Like I'm, I'm going for it attempt. 
Um, the car ran on was it 315 square Hoosier A6s at the time with CCWs like 12 and 13 inches wide. It could lift the front tire doing 60 mile an hour in a corner, 1.6 G's. Like it was wild. Those are cheap CCWs. Yeah. Super cheap, especially after I cracked them in one season. But but yeah, that was my real dive in. And after that point, um, first event, I got second or third with it. And I remember just being like, oh, I am hooked. Hoosiers are purple crack. Uh, you know, <laughs> having a pony car that can handle, I can use 380 wheel horse, like a, a lot of it. Like it barely gets sideways here and there. And then ESP was an extremely difficult class. This may still had the Subarus and stuff in there, not just pony cars. So I remember being like, okay, yeah, I want this. I want to do this all the time. This is awesome. And then I started breaking stuff more and then yeah so i lasted (laughs) two seasons doing that (laughs) but that was my first year i really did three or four national events i think my first year with it and i went to nationals so nice so how did you go from a z28 mustang massive hoosiers massive tires to a little fiesta like that that doesn't make sense to me yeah. Yeah. I know it's, uh, the progression was a little different there because after breaking hubs, the point where I lost a wheel on event and other parts were failing and constantly had to be replaced on the Camaro because Hoosiers are great, but Hoosiers break things. Um, <laughs> I, I eventually, after I think it was two, two attempts at nationals with that, I became a just co-driver only for a little while. Um, I did like STU and a C5 Corvette. Um, I did, let's see here. What else? I know I did the RX eight on Hoosiers at one point, but eventually I ran up with enough co-driving where I wanted my own car again. It became the point where all I do is co-drive. I almost, I never owned across my own car after the Camaro got sold. It was pretty much non-existent that I owned across my own car. And after a while of jumping around and it was great I mean, it was helping other people win some tires and stuff for events. It was great getting the front wheel drive, all wheel drive, rear wheel drive, completely different builds really felt like I had to adapt quickly all the time. And that to me was huge, but eventually I, I discovered that as much as I like jumping around, I think having my own car and being able to get comfortable to know exactly what the car was going to do at certain moments with throttle inputs and corrections and stuff. Like I felt like I could with the Camaro. I needed that again. I felt to actually be able to try to win at the big level of nationals. So the Fiesta was the most affordable, uh, fun little car I could get. That was, you know, sensible enough. I thought as a daily. True. It's, it's got a hat. <laughs> while, yeah. While being still f- fun it to me it's still the most fun front wheel drive i've ever driven so yeah they they're quite good i've gotten to drive one on a handful of occasions and a little bit a little bit of turbo lag yeah a little bit of turbo lag a little bit but that little one six turbo has quite a bit of torque for how small it is too though surprising surprising so where did the leap into road course come in um, 
with the Colbo and the Mustang, I had like one to two HPDEs like ever. Uh, they were both at Gingerman. Um, it was not like a, something I felt like I had to go do all the time. I just did it for once or twice for fun. I usually had to drive three hours each way to go to a Gingerman event. So I <laughs> didn't put a lot of effort into that. Yeah. Um, but eventually I had the Fiesta. A friend was selling a grid life ticket. It was time attack, not HPDE. I figured, Hey, whatever. Like I've done HPDE <laughs> time attack, just competition driving, whatever. It's, it's, it's no big deal. It's the stock Fiesta. I'm already sending with ours. So grid life was my first real competition third or no, no, it's not. It was like my fourth or fifth HPDE at that point. Now I think of it, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. So HPD and uh, well, uh, I'll make this a very short story about it. Uh, I won my class. I set a track record for my class. I I decided I needed to find more, and I found the grass upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Turn one at Mid-Ohio. Yep. Um, So for anyone who has been to Mid-O, turn one is a very big commitment corner. Uh, You can't quite see the whole way around. And by that point in the weekend, I decided that – I didn't think I really needed to break it anymore for it. I could just chuck it in and counter steer and floor it. <laughs> and well, how'd that work? Uh, out? I mean, I knew I was going to go off. I just didn't know how bad it was going to be. So I didn't think it was going to be terrible. And yeah, it went a lot worse really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is somebody who's, I've been upside down in a Mazda too. I've actually been upside down in a couple cars, but uh, yeah, that moment where you realize that the horizon is not acting the way it should. Is... I, I just remember looking out my passenger side glass and seeing <laughs> green, just green. And I'm like, oh, and I let go of the wheel at that point. So, <laughs> yep, yeah. What year was that? Uh, I think it was 2017. 2017. Okay. Because it's my 2016 Fiesta ST with 3,500 miles. Had it a little over two months. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite the payment on a uh, car you can't drive anymore. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know it about track day insurance. This is why I'm very happy to teach any novices and beginners all about track day insurance now. And I use my, uh, my mishap is a, a good teaching moment. So, <laughs> so I was going to say, what, what did you learn that day aside from track day insurance? Like, aside from track day insurance, I do not pretty much ever go to that limit in my car that needs to go home. <laughs> ever again have I pushed to that level of, oh, it's because at, at that point, I was so ignorant to what could go wrong so quickly. And right. Yeah. When, when you autocross, you just sort of like, when you go too far, the car spins or something like that. And yeah. the consequences in autocross are fairly low. Yeah. Um, I kind of should have known at a time bit better about tracking the Fiesta the way I did though. Cause I two wheeled it literally two weeks prior to that in autocross. So. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I mean, I had to learn, um, obviously, when to push and when not to push about dialing back about a little bit of uh 
I had that what can go wrong mentality before I'm, I'm invincible to really getting humbled very quickly. So I learned a lot about also knowing how to build up pace versus just going out there and sending it, see what sticks like all across. Um, and then of course, learning also about track day insurance being huge. And I would say almost no event do I go out there and send it like I did that time without feeling extremely confident over session after session of build up before I really feel like I needed, I can get away with it. <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, like the whole track day insurance thing, I don't, I don't think back in 2017, that was a thing that was widely known. I mean, it's only no. really being talked about like the past two years as like yeah. a viable thing that people know is out there. Like Haggerty and Lockton and whoever else might be out there. Those are the two most popular I know of. Uh, no, they're not advertising regularly. They're not emailing you because you're a messy state member letting you know like, this is a deal. You know, Track Night America wasn't a thing. There's always things that have changed from then. Uh, the HPD time attack world has grown quite a bit since then. Yeah, when I took my Cadillac on one lap, there was no even no real thought of of insurance. I'm sure it was available had we looked into it, but you didn't know to look into it. So, you know, I took a $70,000 car that was a year old on one lap. And um, looking back on that now, I was like, (laughs) holy cow, that was stupid. Um, But it's what you do, right? (laughs) I mean, you didn't. I mean, yeah. I just remember hearing about the one story, uh, What's his name? The Corvette bar, you know, with his CTSV at oh, Howard, the corner. Yeah. yeah. yeah Howard, Howard flipped it there. And then um, Dubler flipped his prior to that. So I showed up to one lap in, in literally Brock came up to me and goes, be careful with that car. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Like everybody should be careful, right? He's like, no, that car, be careful in it. Nobody's ever finished an event in a CTSV wagon. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So talking about one lap stuff, how did you, Ryan, actually get into the one lap? Because it's kind of a it's kind of a strange little weird pocket of the motorsports world that not you you really have to have come across it or know somebody who did it to even have really heard about it. So how did you wander into that community? Right. So before I even, I guess, got to that community, I'll introduce how I met the person who got me into it. Uh, so I was sold my Z28 after like, let's say two years of real hard competition, at the national level, trying to make it work and decided, Hey, this is hard to afford. <laughs> in my budget and I got to get rid of it. So Christopher Vanderwalk, uh, which at that point did not know who he was, decided to fly in from New Jersey, bought my Z28 and drove it back. Uh, <laughs> he had bought it for the purpose of using it in one lap of America. And well, long story short for that, it did not ever get used for one lap of America. <laughs> it, uh, it was a little aggressive. You know, I had a 1300 pound coilovers in the front, uh, aluminum seats, uh, like Kirby style. Uh, it was very low, very squeaky, very rough. And, 
he quickly decided that that was no longer going to be the car. Uh, had some fun with it, of course, upgraded some things, changed some things, and then went from the fourth gen Z28 to a sixth gen SS1 LE. Now, he ran the event in 2018 for the first time. Um, 2018 just happened to be the year uh, where I started working at Tire Rack. So, of course, One Lap of America by Tire Rack <laughs> starts yeah. and ends at Tire Rack. Right. It's kind of a it's and, kind of a deal. Yeah, I got to watch all the cool cars come by, do the skid pad, talk to a lot of people and everything. And uh, as that process was going down and everything, eventually Van Hoek, we became friends and we bought the car over the years, talking stuff and following him. And uh, he offered me the seat for the 2019 season. Um, I, of course, said yes, because it's a six-gen SS1 LE. Uh, I don't remember at that point if it had already been as modified as much as it was or, or if it was more stock, but he it quickly became an animal. <laughs> yeah, he. it was definitely, there was definitely some upgrades between 18 and 19. 1920. Yeah, the first year of stock. Yeah, yeah, and then that's when he put the supercharger on it, and of course had the uh, some line rubbed through something that year because he had just gotten the upgrades done by a shop and didn't have much time to you know test it, shake it down, sort of thing. Extra arrow, more tire, more kind of more of everything at that point. Yeah, do uh, do more with more was like the yes. hashtag there, yeah. uh, which <laughs> right. which a brief side thing on the do more with more because um, I was actually on a crossing with Bradley Yonkers uh, Street Mod M3. Um, that's where the do more with more came from, which he and Darus of course had done one lap as well. So I already knew what one lap was through Yonkers and driving that's his true. M3 with him. Yeah, um, and yeah, I. Uh, I made the commitment to do it with Christopher. Um, we got ourselves ready. Of course, had insurance for the week. Uh, and at first, I was a little, I was intimidated. The car was more horsepower than I had ever experienced um, in a car before. Yep. Um, I kind of didn't do really do track day stuff after my Fiesta. I, uh, it really set me back for a while. I didn't really want to go to the track. Um, yeah, it cost me a lot of money. So <laughs> I was no longer really looking to have the risk. And eventually he kind of helped me get back on that horse, if you will, but uh, <laughs> with three times the power and <laughs> a lot more to, to go with. So, and I, I always will thank him for that because he, you know, but you lose a lot of confidence in those moments of crashing and mistakes and someone else trusting you with their, their toy, their baby, their, extremely powerful Camaro. It, uh, it helped instill a lot of confidence back into me and I, uh, I'll always be thankful for that. So, <laughs> yeah. And you're going really, really fast in that Camaro. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, like I 165 wa- road America. At least. Yeah. yeah. I watched <laughs> you guys and thought I, I not, I mean, not you guys in particular, but you know, I was driving at, at that point in my driving career, I committed to like, yeah, 125 ish, is as fast. Like I want my cars to arrow out at 125. That's it. I don't want to be able to go any faster. 
because I felt like the consequences watching the Corvettes and the and you guys and the GTRs go 160, 170, 180. I was like, I don't want the consequences of that much speed. Um, it's horrifying to me. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, it was a very much put on your big boy pants type scenario when I first drove it. Uh, I actually got to experience it for the first time uh, one. So one or two weeks for one lap at Nelson Ledges that we got to practice uh, Nelson Ledges. And the first time committing to the kink over 110 mile an hour was like a, oh my God. But <laughs> yes, I love Arrow. I love this car. Let's do this. I'm, I, I'm comfortable. Let's go. <laughs> Thing, things are so much simpler with 110 horsepower. I remember, yeah. I remember just realizing pretty early on at nelson ledges like yeah i don't need to live for this <laughs> just just dive it in and break you know when that i cross that access road and, you know it's fine it, it our mentality of one lap though didn't like make it a lot more comfortable because it was all about we have the power it's like the andy hollis method you have to say this way at least with his mclarens uh not so much the, the crx but uh you know slow down Slow down early in the corner, go a comfortable pace in the corner, power out. If you have enough power to make it up on the straightaways, be safe in the corners in the braking zone type scenario. And we could do that. And as the week progressed, I got more and more comfortable with the car. So I got to be a little more, you know, edgy with the corners and stuff like that. And uh, the rear wing, by the way, I figured we should mention it, it was Good Arrow was the rear wing, which yeah. uh, you guys might uh, know, Rob fields so you know he does go to gingerman and uh, oh, is that, big, is that life events. i didn't know Godero was fields it was yeah yep i believe he's, he uh ended up selling that and everything but yes that was him so gotcha. i figured uh we would hit on that because yeah. also yonkers used a, a good arrow rear wing as well yep yeah he did so yeah i i also that is not my experience of the one lap. <laughs> it's, it's being able to <laughs> yeah. rely on I power. jumped in very different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually it was in the braking zones and corners. That's where I, that's the only place I could make up my time. Whatever right. time was to be made up anyway. Now that was, was that the Brainerd year as well? It was. It yes. was. Donnie Brooke. How'd, uh, how'd that go for you? So, so just to let me set the scene for people who may have been to Brainerd, but may not have even been to the Donnybrook, um, which isn't used nearly as much as club course. Donnybrook, you have a heavily cambered right-hand corner that leads you into the staging area of a drag strip. And so you take that corner at a pretty good clip, faster than you certainly thought that you could, and you go all the way down a drag strip. <clears throat> and then another three quarters of a drag strip after that. It kept yeah, it's going. a one mile straight. Yeah. So full full mile into a pretty cambered right-hand turn. Let's be honest. It's not cambered. It's banked. Yeah, it's it's there. <laughs> into And this is the big transition that I had a hard time with is into a very flat with a narrower exit turn two. And that's where things got interesting, even for me in my 
110 horsepower. So that was the the time I actually got to sit out and watch. I didn't drive Diabrook. It was it was Chris both morning and afternoon sessions. Um, I got to take the Nelson wedges very first. Hey, you're gonna you're gonna set us up for the week. I got to do the autocross. I got to do the first track. So, which I had actually the top raw time, but I found I coned it away for the autocross. So I think I fell back to like the fifth or fourth or something overall. And then we were setting up for Nelson for the first time. And then it was uh, Ranvik and Micaiah's TTRS. And he was behind us. And I remember walking up to him like, what, 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 what power is this thing making? He was like, I don't know. Like, could make like six. I'm like, get in front of me. Like, <laughs> I am not going to go in front of you. Like, like we're, we're all guessing how fast we're going to go. I'm like, yeah. 600 horsepower TTRS, get in front of the Camaro. <laughs> but yeah, Dybrook was a, an interesting one because I just remember Vanderwalk was trying to find traction when he hit the drag strip. Uh, there was moments it, it kind of would want to lose some traction at those nope. speeds in cold morning. Nope. And I remember Robert Thorne on the rev limiter. This is after the GTR broke in big, bad wolf, it, it maxing out six gear going through the banking. Yeah. <laughs> Just do, wild. Do you know what the speed of the Camaro was through the banking? I know. I think he entered it around 160, and he he dropped it down to think. Well, I want to say 140s, 150s, but Thorn was everything that Big Bad Wolf had, which is a 150, 160. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I went in. I mean, obviously, I was in the Accord that year, and the car was arrowed out at whatever it is, like 123 or something, and I couldn't convince my brain. <laughs> To go more, right? To just tip into the corner and keep it flat. Like there was, my brain was screaming at me, like, this is the worst idea in the world. So just before I tip in, I would lift and turn the car. And of course, you know, it's aero limited. So as soon as you lift, it's like you deploy a parachute. It feels like it slows down. Right. And I didn't brake, but I'd lift and the car would lose like 10 miles an hour. And then it was obvious I was going so slow, like, like 105, 110 in that corner is so slow it's it was <laughs> it's crazy to me that like as slow as your car is you were going so much faster than me going into that series <laughs> i mean i i I've, i think i've talked about this but like my top speed was going into two um, okay. I kept accelerating through turn one <laughs> um, because i knew i knew really early on like first flying lap that's like I don't need a break here at all and it wasn't until the the last time through I didn't lift going through two and like my car on like what 205 ECS's I turned in and on the video you can see my hands just do a little little like <laughs> five five degree chuck and I go and and because I turned in, it scrubbed just enough that the car would no longer accelerate anymore. And I remember looking it up on Apex Pro. It was one seventeen point eight. That wow. is, that is what the car had in it. Yeah, we, we even like duct taped the uh, the fog light opening and part of the part of the radiator opening. Like it's like, well, let's. 
I mean, let's yeah. try to trim it out, you know, see. see it was a cool can... morning too. So it was There's frost on the car that morning at the hotel. And yeah. I had like, I've got that little tiny battery. It's like the size of a pack of cards. And there was, there was a definite question about whether or not the Accord was going to start that morning. It was, Ooh. it did not want to start. And the day I'm not a morning left, person, by the way, but I can tell you every morning when we cold started that Whipple supercharged one LE. <laughs> That's a way to wake yourself up real quick. <laughs> and I remember the day after we left Brainerd, it snowed. Yes, yes. it did. The yes. very next day. We just missed the snow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like two or three inches. It wasn't like a little dusting. It was like we would yeah. not have run had it been one day later. Yeah. So We got pretty lucky with that. And then from Brainerd was Road America. That year was yeah, weird because we did like this weird figure eight thing. And I can yeah. never remember. That might be right. I'd have to go back and look. I believe it was because we, we were having back and close fire issues. Yeah. That's really when I met you is <laughs> you showed up yeah. somewhere and, and you were just like had not slept because you guys had been trying to fix the car and you were just jacked on no sleep and adrenaline and the car was working. And I was like, well, this, this dude's super intense. Like <laughs> that's the end of one lap, which, I mean, if we want to go through the week, that was NCM. Yeah. No, I thought right. I met you. Yep. Okay. Cause the car wasn't broken then. Okay. So that was NCM when you guys had showed up and made the car work. Okay. Yeah, we had other issues throughout the week prior. Uh, it was a new tune. It was a new setup. I know at Road America, we are running leaded 110 to try to help the misfire. <laughs> Jesus. So, uh, I mean, and it was still having some misfire. So we we're at data logging down the highway, occasionally doing a poll, trying to get this thing figured out from one commute to the next commute for one lap. <laughs> the first two days. It's about how it works. Maybe three days. Yeah. But yeah. Getting up to the end, I mean, if you want to kind of skip on the rest of it, I, well, I'll mention one thing prior. The big commitment, uh, like you were saying, Seth, about getting it through your brain that can happen for me was motorsports hasting because it was so wet. Yeah. Uh, and I, in my outlap, played with four different settings of the SS1LE PTM EDIF setup. And learned which settings I felt like the car wasn't intervening so much that it was slowing me down, but enough to keep me from bending it and committing to full throttle with a 600 wheel horsepower Camaro with the trash control light just flashing at me and, you know, just committing over hundred mile an hour, just flashing at me. I'm like, we're fine. This is fine. I've so never was, been ha- never been happier to be in a low horsepower front wheel drive car than that day. <laughs> that was the moment where I really like, okay, I committed to it. I just broke earlier for the corners. You know, it was very gentle in the steering inputs in the corners, but on the straightaway, the E diff, I, I let it do its thing and it held me. But it took it took that entire opening lap before I came to a stop of playing with different settings too. What can I get away with? Whoa, that's too much wheel spin. Okay, that's too much, you know, trash control. Okay, uh, uh, Matt, I said, Matt uh, in the C5 at the time, I, I yeah. pointed him by. I gave him like, no, no, you're quicker in the rain already. Just go by. 
it's Ponty's versus us in the Michelin with me not driving the car ever in the rain. I was like, uh, just go. Uh, <laughs> stop giving people point fives before we even started our laps. <laughs> yeah. Well, better to get it sorted out then. Yeah. Yeah. But going to the intense moment, like you were saying, uh, it was after leaving Blackhawk, which, um, you know, Blackhawk was not a great event because what happened to a certain McLaren, uh, we all had that stuck in our head. The rest, you know, of course, one lap. Uh, we left and we lost all of our coolant in the Camaro. Yep. Um, we were on the side of the road from roughly 5 or 6 p.m. until about 2 a.m. Uh, until we bypassed some things. Got a few stuff. A lot of random people stopped by. Uh, my buddy Bubba came by. <laughs> he drove like an hour and a half each way for to help us. And uh, we we left Illinois to hit NCM around 2, 2.30 in the morning. And we did take a quick power nap, about 45 minutes, you know, sitting upright in the Camaro over the car seats after we hit the rumble strips a few times. And about an hour away from NCM, the blower belt, all 10 ribs of it, decided to go out through the hood vent and wave at us. Uh, <laughs> so we had a pull over, cut that, and we arrived as as – NCM was already happening without us. And we, you know, we had a crew of people help us unload the car. I changed my race suit. Someone took the bypass valve for the blower, zip tied it open. And that's probably when you met me. Super intense. <laughs> yeah, you, you were really excited. <laughs> yeah. And it was East Course. I did horrendous, like 30-something place for the Camaro. And by the way, all week we were like a top 10 car. <laughs> so, right. Going like 30th something place was like, oof, all right. Uh, so here, here's when things start to fall apart for the week. <laughs> and then West Course went really well. Um, I actually got my first pass during one lap of the Roush Mustang. And then the big uh, Grand Course went extremely well. Um, I ran like a, a 220 or 221 with no blower on Michelin tires first time out on Grand Course. I was, I was ecstatic. Uh, adrenaline rush from hell <laughs> yeah power really helps at that track yeah like i said that was like with the blower being bypass valve opened we actually think we're making less than stock ss1 le power probably. at that point yeah probably so it's yeah. all about just sending it in with the arrow it's over 100 mile an hour in corner five blind first time doing it nope <laughs> <laughs> no nope. but yeah that was a great way to finish we took some Red Bulls and drove on no sleep all the way back to South Bend, and where we were ecstatic to get some sleep. Now you you mentioned that after your Fiesta moment at Mid Ohio that you didn't drive many road courses until the one lap, and that was oh. at least a year in between, right? Yep, there were, there had been uh, the. HPDE at Ginderman, um, just in my Mustang, which I had already done. But otherwise, no, I did not. I didn't do anything up other than Gingerman. Um, Elson Ledges was the first track outside of Gingerman after the whole Mid-Ohio incident. Because Gingerman, I still felt safe. And I, there was nothing I could really push the car to do anything crazy. Sure. But yeah, no, I was, I was not ready to jump back on that horse. I was a little... Yeah, setback. Yeah, and you and you mentioned the financial aspect, which I totally get. Was that it? No, it wasn't it. I uh, 
I had a lot of confidence in my abilities. Um, you know, autocross, it's, it's that safe. It's, you, you get overconfident potentially for some people who go to the track. And I don't think I was overconfident at my moment at mid Ohio. I just felt like what's the worst that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I found out quickly. So, yeah. you know, and that really just, it, it really got in my head and it took me a while to break that. And it was the opportunity to drive such a crazy car, like the one lap one LE and that first time getting out there and be like, Oh, not only is this not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be the first time driving a 600 wheel horsepower car. Uh, this is awesome. And <laughs> now I'm just getting more eager to go faster again. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So you did that one HPD at Gingerman and then you get the offer in this radically different car from what, from a lot of other things that you've driven, let alone on the types of courses that you'd be driving it on. Did your mojo, your confidence come back quickly or was this like the stepping stone to have another event later on have it click? Like what was, how did, how did you navigate that? Yeah, it was, um, it did not just snap back on. Um, I uh, definitely, most of one lap, I would say. I found myself always leaving much larger room for air than it was necessary. Uh, obviously, it wasn't my car. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. But there was a lot of moments that I just found myself, I think, under driving because, you know, we got to make it through. But at the same time, I didn't know if I was fully there. It was probably NCM where I really felt like I started getting my, my, my mojo back because it was one of those like, Woo, I'm just going to do it. You know, <laughs> like God makes stuff work. We don't have the supercharger anymore to make up the time. You know, I can't just rely on that. And that even was, that's uh, a, that's a, as we've chronicled earlier in my season, NCM is not a track to send it and have that turn out well either. Did you, were you just too tired for that judgment call or like why? <laughs> Part of it was fatigue for sure. Um, the other part was I had watched so many videos about NCM, especially like Camaro PDR videos where you get to see their throttle inputs, their steering inputs, their brake, all of it. And I had felt even with a one LE as an SS, I've watched so many ZL1 videos and stuff like that. Like, okay, this is the power that they can do. This is the G load that they're doing with a better tire. Like I have to dial it back. There's always things that, different variables. Right. But at the same time, I just felt like I knew the track, even though I never driven the track, obviously fall ruse, uh, deception. Those were the moments where I gave it up knowing they're dangerous corners. Yep. Cause I had seen enough things happen online, <laughs> yep. but the rest of the corners, I just no hesitation <laughs> over, you know, the curbs, one, a one B, you know, corner five going in there. <laughs> Uh, deception to fall roofs. That was the only areas I know. I, I left some on the table for the most part. I felt like I just went for it. And what, and again, like I'm kind of comparing this moment to how you talked about your kind of time in autocross being the, the big fish in a little pond to a little fish in a bigger pond that all of a sudden you didn't have this power. You still had the competition 
lingering over you. Now you were an even smaller fish because you didn't have yeah. that extra power. And you, th- it, it, it almost sounds like that was kind of the extra needed, um, little Napoleon syndrome that you needed to like go yeah. out and do this. Yeah, I'll agree. The, uh, the East course performing so poorly, uh, it uh, it got in my head. It uh, actually fired me up. It got me upset. <laughs> was, was it because a Miata beat you? Was was that why? <laughs> uh, many people beat me. I uh, <laughs> don't don't dodge the I, question. <laughs> no, it wasn't because a Miata only beat me. All it was because that like I just know we had done so well all week, and it was our very final event. I mean, I was, I was tired, but I saw the results when I got back in. I just remember like what are you doing? Like, you can't use the excuse. I don't have enough horsepower. Like, there, there's a lot of other people who don't have anywhere near the horsepower you had all week and they just beat you. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, it fired me up. It was that like, no, we're not ending on a sour note. I am now mad about my results. I'm not, I'm not, Oh, I can do better. I'm getting my No, I was mad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I just, I made sure it wasn't going to end that way. I wanted to end on a high note. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we won our class. We got eighth overall, and we were the highest finishing American car, yep. including the Vipers and Corvettes. So, yeah, it was a but, it was a good week for you both. Yeah, the adrenaline going through my body. <laughs> some of it anger, some of it just I'm ready to you know see what this car can do at these speeds. But yeah, part of it was definitely a little bit of anger. <laughs> Upset at myself. Oh yeah. Um, so like we talked about at the top of the show, you worked for the tire rack for a few years. And yep. because you can only have one person who works there with one name at a time, they uh they did the nineteen eighty four thing and just renamed you. So you were Tyrac Brad. <laughs> That's right. They gave us a list and I selected that name because I have a cousin named Brad and Brad Finch. Uh, it was easy to say because uh, I've said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It was, is, uh, is that strange for a while? Like people calling you up and say, oh, hey, Brad. And you're like, it's who's that? <laughs> there had definitely been moments where I was like, hi, this is Ryan. Oh, crap. <laughs> Ryan <laughs> I already answered Brad. the call wrong. <laughs> this is rad. Yeah, rad, Brad. <laughs> yeah, it, it was weird at first, but it's funny after you know you take because we take a lot of calls uh, at Tire Rack, uh, so you get used to it quickly because repetition is a thing. Uh, yeah. The first few days of work, you actually have to write your new name over and over again a few times to start the class. <laughs> Sounds like brainwashing to me. I, I mean, I've seen clockwork orange. I know how this works. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen how this works. The ultra violence. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I got used to it quickly. It was weird for a while, and then of course, there's always jokes about it. You know, I still get called Brad from people, and then every time oh, yeah. I go on a work trip, people are like, "So do you do you tell people you're Brad and Ryan?" I'm like, "Well, if I'm representing the company, I'm Brad. Like, that's my work name. That's my business card. That's my email. Like." I don't tell anyone I'm Ryan. I'm Brad at these events. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. recently, 
ish, you were snatched away from Tire Rack to go do a new thing, but also required a fairly big move as well. Yeah. Yeah. So funny, the transition from one lap to, I guess, my new job is uh, we actually used uh, an Apex Pro all of one lap in 2019. Uh, I shortly became a customer after one lap, yep. I believe it was a, the month after. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I decided, um, you know, tire rack is great, great company. No things negative to say at all. Everyone should shop with tire rack. Um, but I decided I want to do something different. Uh, just consistent incoming phone calls was not something I want to do long-term. Um, and I pursued working for apex pro. Um, I saw they had an opening uh, January of this year. I went down with uh, another tracked tune person, Abrin <laughs> of uh, Also Grid Life, and we took his car around Barber, which is amazing. Had a great time. Uh, saw the facilities, saw the area, got to talk to Andrew in person. And well, five months later, I moved from Michigan all the way to Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> So it's a bit of a hike down there. Yeah, big change. Um, I don't know. And it's had in my point after I got the Fiesta taken care of, sold, sold my Mustang, felt like I could kind of just pick up and leave. And I, I wanted to try something different again. It's like getting out of high school and doing the Marine Corps all over again. I uh, wanted to shake things up. Yeah. Yeah, because it took you a while to get out from under that uh, Fiesta payment. Yeah. Yeah, a little over three years, um, but I, I paid it off early uh, and sold it in someone's daily right now. <laughs> I love that. Do, yeah, no, do, it's do uh, they know? the guy who makes rally cross cars. And oh, so he, 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 knows. he knows all about it. He knows. Yeah. Me. Yeah. So you, <laughs> no, he fixed it. it himself. You moved to Alabama just in time for summer? Yeah, so super smart decision <laughs> of when to move. I can tell you unpacking all of your your stuff from a U-Haul in a mid-90 degree day with like 95% humidity was a super good idea. Um, I like that. Really enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. So I got to thoroughly enjoy all of Alabama's humidity and heat and rain all summer. Um, and now I'm really, really actually enjoying the fact that it's, you know, mid seventies, low eighties and the humidity is down. Uh, today it was terrible. And that's 84 degrees in the lower humidity. <laughs> I remember living in Florida and just, God, it's just hot. Like nobody, nobody wants to go outside. Yeah. I, uh, being new, I, I had already tracked, at Barber four four times this year since June. Yep. And and let's see here. I also autocrossed at Barber and a few other places. I learned why the locals skip a lot of summer events. <laughs> <laughs> Not being a local, I was diehard. I gotta get out there, I gotta meet people, gotta see what the local chapters and clubs are. Yeah. I uh yeah, I regret that. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 gotta be nuts down there too just i mean heat is hard on everything 
It's harder on brakes. It's harder on tires. It's harder on the engine. Mm -hmm. It's harder on the things that you want to keep cool in the engine. It's just harder on the cars, not to mention the driver who, if you are at a track day, I'd like to think you should have a suit on, but not many people do down there because it's so hot. It's, it's miserable, man. Yeah. I actually skipped, uh, uh, 24 hours of VIR this year because it was in July. I was offered a, a seat and I have a three layer fire suit that has no breathing room in my opinion. And <laughs> I had done champ car the, the year before. And I had discovered through Indianapolis the summer in the gingerman event. It was not good to be stuck in a car for over two hours with that suit. Um, now road America and October when it was almost snowing on us, it was great, <laughs> but I quickly discovered, no, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a small guy. Three layer fire suit is not good. I don't care what I used to do back with armor and a rack. That was a much smaller, younger me. <laughs> I don't want to deal with the yeah. heat like I did anymore. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no reason to try to keep up with the younger, dumber version of yourself. Nope. Um, as I'm getting uh, older and grayer, I'm getting a little, a little wiser. It just takes a lot more time. Yeah. You have to suffer <laughs> before you get wiser, I think. That's right. So, and just uh, kind of more recently, you know, you, you made this move down South Ray Picks Pro, but you also did some fairly high-level time attack co-drives and got the keys tossed to you on a few other occasions. Um, so you've, you've had some pretty cool opportunity to jump in a lot of different cars, and especially yeah. the last few years, some pretty high horsepower, full arrow. Let's see what this can do. Yeah, I mean, after... After one lap in the one lap one LE, I got to enjoy just, you know, a few quick things. Uh, I got to take the Camaro out to the time trial nationals. Um, not the year, that same year. We were, we were trying to go the same year. Unfortunately, it met a tire wall and deception in the rain. Um, so I got to take yep. down my daily driven Civic SI. And I helped Vanderwalk get back on the horse even quicker because I made him race my car the next day after he crashed his car. (laughs) So after that, the car got even more for the next time trial nationals, more aero, more tire went out to NCM, got to do a redeeming uh, for the car. It had a blower this time. So we ran a two twelve instead of a two twenty one. Yeah. A little bit quicker. And with the experience of that and actually through apex pro, before I was an employee, just using the data, I got to meet a lot of people and help people out with their data uh, and using the Apex Pro. And that found me a seat in the the Mullet Racing uh, C5Z06, uh, which uh, was a heck of a power build <laughs> that, yeah. uh, well, like any power build in Time Attack, it had a lot of teething issues. So, um, yep. Once we were able to put down some power, that thing though, wow, <laughs> that thing did fly. Yeah, it's, um, it's a mover. Yeah, it's a mover. Um, still never got quite a, a proper lap of Gingerman with it. Uh, I got a 130, well, 137 on a warm up lap. 
I felt was not even 70% pushing it. So yeah. uh, it could have been pretty good. Cause like, I know that one LE I ran a one, what will 135 or gingerbread was traffic and I had a lift and stuff. So yeah, I would say now 133 should be plenty yeah. attainable. 33 or better potentially with that car is what I felt. Uh, I mean, we ended up getting second in track mod that weekend, but you know, it's all against who shows up. (laughs) So what's next for you now that you're down South and you know, you've been doing some barber days and doing more apex pro stuff, but what's uh, motorsports wise? What's, what do you have? Uh, Well, obviously I'm going to try to continue to help out with beginners when I can. I'm trying to do a little more like coaching here and there throughout apex and data side uh, I actually plan on renting a seat at Barber for Champ Car in December with nice. hopefully some grid life guys. So we'll see how that comes together. Um, otherwise, in the next year or so, I am purchasing another Honda Civic SI uh, from you, a uh, what you doing with that? fellow. Uh, well, the initial thing is probably some Honda Challenge with NASA at Road Atlanta. Yeah. And then eventually, I don't know, I just might be a, a three-quarter back runner into some GLTC stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably where I I'll... won't be able to keep up with you originally. I gotta I gotta build up that uh that car slowly but surely. Yeah, I'm you know, for all the upgrades I do every year on this stupid car, it's like I just stay about the same place in the pack because <laughs> everybody else I, does the same. I am well aware of the competition level of GLTC. And I know that it's, I'm not going to throw my uh, checkbook at the car to try to be competitive. I'm going to have fun. I hopefully, but surely will work my way up with the car as it improves, but who freaking knows it. uh, That is the, (laughs) some of the, uh, the biggest fish in a small pond I've ever seen. I think it'll be interesting based on what you keep coming back to this um, needing to have a rabbit in front of you needing to, yep. I want to say prove yourself. Although, you know, we could definitely dive into your, uh, your childhood there. Um, but it definitely seems like in GLTC, like were you to come there, sounds like that might be a place where you could really um, blossom as a wheel to wheel driver having those those rabbits out in front of you right and i agree that's one of my reasons i really want to do gltc is i know like you know with andrew reigns of course my my boss here uh he's a his wheel to wheel race craft is awesome to watch i, I really enjoy it's, it actually it's, it's infuriating to be behind um <laughs> because he's and we don't block in gltc i want to make that clear but yes. his defense um, is, I think, the best in GLTC by probably not a small margin. Um, we've got some other very experienced and even professional level drivers. But Andrew's defense, he is hard to get around, yeah. period. Oh, yeah. And he never has the raw pace. He's a lot like me in that regard like we don't have like the time attack like go out like the world's hair on fire but Mm -hmm. the thing he has is like he's great at starts he's consistent he doesn't really make mistakes and he is hard to get around and in this sprint race format of gltc 
he I mean, he put um, Bill Griffin's car, which is not really a, a front-running car. He put that in the low teens pretty consistently in a 50-car yeah. field. And, like, watching him out there, like, really proves it to me. Like, wow, uh, I feel confident in my ability to find the limit of a car on my own, push that limit, try to time attack. You know, I definitely feel confident at knowing, okay, there's more out there. I need to do this to improve. When you get yourself out there with – 30, 40, 50 other people. And it's not like, it's not just time attack. It's not find the hot lab. It's okay. You got to set the people up ahead of you, behind you, et cetera, just right. But you're still cleanly <laughs> making this time pace as you're going three wide to a corner as you're, and even going slow, not being a top 20, 30 car. Like, let's be honest. When I start off, I don't plan on being top 30, depending on the event, you know, I'm going to be back. I understand that. I'm okay with it as long as I have someone to race and to build that racecraft. Yes. <laughs> and that's what I want to do. Like in champ car, like two hours at a time, you get to do that, but it's <sighs> the spectrum. So different in multi-class racing. Yeah. Yeah. It's you got to watch out for this Corvette coming up as you're racing two Miatas. You know, you gotta, yeah. like it's, it's so different, yeah. but same power to weight with rules to keep each other close I mean, yeah, I can't wait. I think it's always going to drive me to try to push a little harder to learn to be better, to get back out of the car. Okay, see what I did different there. Watch the video. Okay, this is what I should have done differently. Like, yeah, I, I'm so happy that, you know, watching you, Dustin, a bunch of other of my friends that I've competed against, not only in one lap, autocross, other time attack scenarios, getting into it. I always just feel like I'm missing out so much. <laughs> I want to be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, FOMO is FOMO is a real thing. FOMO is hard, real hard. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the reason why I'm really trying to get to Road America. Yeah, so. I'll be at uh, Brainerd actually working with Andrew, so I won't be able to make Road America, but I'll be in the general four or five hour area. <laughs> It'll be even colder than we will be. That's right. Can't wait. <laughs> Well, is there any uh, social media stuff you want to plug or say hi to your mom? Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> of course, if anyone would like to get data, you have already heard the promo, but Apex Pro, uh, of course, apextrackcoach.com if you need simple iOS-based data. Um, otherwise, if you want to follow me on Instagram or YouTube, I started branding my race team here as Flying Finch Motorsports, because you know a bird it flies. Fly means fast. Well, a fiesta flies too sometimes. <laughs> yes, it can. That's one of the things it can do. Briefly, <laughs> briefly, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, otherwise that's it. Um, I really, uh, really hope the, the process into wheel to wheel will go smoothly. But I know how difficult it can be at times. Yeah. Well. It can uh, certainly be a thing, but I think you'll uh, you'll find your place in it quite well. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, for the three of us here, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Ryan. This is Track Walking. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>